This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com masters. Hey, entrepreneurs, my name is Felix, and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. In the last episode, Tom Hunt from StitchLeggings.com explained why he creates customer avatars for all of his marketing. In this episode, you'll learn from an entrepreneur that believes that removing products from your store can actually lead to more sales. In this episode, you'll learn what is brand identity and how to develop your company's brand identity, why it's important and how you can create a story to successfully launch new products, and when you should be using Instagram stories rather than posting directly to your feed. Today, I'm joined by Vanessa Stoffenmacher from VrayAndOro.com. That's V-R-A-I-A-N-D-O-R. O.com, which is a fine jewelry brand without the retail markups and was started in 2014 and based out of Los Angeles, California. Welcome, Vanessa. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, excited to have you here. So uh, tell us a bit more about your store, your brand, and what are some of the most popular products that you sell? Definitely our most popular piece is our solitaire diamond necklace. It's just a very simple, minimal, round diamond. Um, and, you know, we use only solid gold, high-grade diamonds. So it's kind of our essential staple piece that you just can't go wrong with. Nice. Cool. So um, how did you uh, get involved in this kind of business? What's your background like? Yeah, I actually don't have a background in jewelry, which is kind of interesting. Um, but I, I have a background in graphic design, communication arts. I studied design at Otis College of Art and Design. And after school, I started a design studio where I helped small businesses and startups create brand identities, their logos, websites, marketing materials. And it started to feel a little stale, like I was just kind of doing the same thing over and over. And I was really excited with what was happening in technology and decided to uh, go back to school and study user experience. So uh, user experience for me was a great um, interception of design, business, and marketing and technology. So with that, um, my sister at the time had just graduated from business school. And so we put our our two skill sets together and um, tried to brainstorm what a pain point we had in the market and realized that both of us, uh, you know, both of our husbands were really terrible at buying us gifts. (laughs) They're, They're great guys, but not so good in the gifting department. So um, we created a learning algorithm that uh, helped men find the perfect gift for women using shopping behaviors and um, technology that connected personality types. So uh, essentially, we became you know the number one gift that men buy women is fine jewelry. So we quickly became a marketplace for fine jewelry and worked with fine jewelers all over the U.S. And it was here that I realized the crazy markups that were involved in fine jewelry. I didn't really know much about fine jewelry before, but just seeing that the markups, you know, their pieces were being marked up eight to 10 times, um, things were being made overseas in China, and, you know, designers were just kind of taking a catalog and picking out designs that were already pre-made. So it was a little, um, you know, shocking to me. And obviously, this is a generalization. There's some great designers out there. But for the most part, in the mass market, this is what I was seeing. 
So no one was really taking a stance and doing anything about this and bringing uh, essential fine jewelry, high quality jewelry at an attainable price. So, you know, the company with my sister didn't work out. And after that, I decided to launch into Vrayanaro to help make fine jewelry more attainable. Very cool. So it sounds like a, very much an evolution of, of businesses, business models, um, products, and everything. It started originally sounding like a gift buying from men to women. You learn about jewelry through that that uh, that experience, and then you focus specifically on jewelry. And I think this evolution is really important to talk about because a lot of entrepreneurs go through this where they start off with one idea and then kind of pivot and pivot and pivot and eventually, hopefully, land on something that really fits with, with what, what matches their skill set matches their interests. Uh, but it's also sometimes not everyone gets there because they always still kind of try to hang on to what already existed and don't kind of focus down and niche down like you did. Can you talk a little about that experience? Like, How did you know not to kind of hang on to the original, I guess, vision that you had with the previous companies and knew to focus specifically on, on fine, fine jewelry in your case? Yeah, I, well, I was always excited about the ideas of startups. You know, startups were just becoming, it was just becoming a buzzword and in a sense. And so I was really excited to be a part of it. Uh, but the, you know, what we were doing before helping men find gifts for women, it didn't, it never felt exactly like me. My core values weren't really established in it. So uh, it wasn't a hard transition because I felt so, so strongly towards um, bringing transparency to the jewelry industry. So it really, for me, felt very natural to progress that way. Um, but I think one piece of advice that I would have for entrepreneurs is just not be afraid of failing. I know a lot of people that think of failure as like the end-all be-all, but I think it's necessary and we need it to uh, to get to a better place. Yeah, I think it's all kind of um, a, a step, uh, I guess, a step towards the direction of success. Sometimes uh, a failure might seem like devastating that time, but it's something that you can always take away and learn from so that you can, uh, you know, apply these lessons into your, your next venture. Uh, so you mentioned that you didn't have a background in jewelry, uh, but you, you know, came across it uh, during your experience uh, with these companies and these startups that, that you helped uh, uh, start. Um, but how do you, when you don't know much about industry, like tell us a little about your experience of learning about it, not just learning about the industry, but then learning enough to, to actually create a business to compete in the industry. Uh, what was that, what was that uh, process like? It's definitely a long process and you, it's a lot of work, um, but it's really just being curious and asking a lot of questions and talking to a lot of people. And just, you know, we worked with so many different types of people from diamond dealers to the gold maker, you know, the people that are melting down gold the polishers, every step of the process, you learn something different. So having that hands-on, you know, tactile process and not just kind of outsourcing your work um, was was really beneficial to us. All of our jewelry is made um, two and a half blocks from our our studio downtown. So it's, you know, really, really, really valuable for us to be able to meet with the manufacturers and just see the process from start to finish and learn as much as we can. So you find that uh, to learn and to kind of dive and immerse yourself into an industry, you should not outsource too much, but actually be a part of that process, be able to walk into the the manufacturer and actually see things being made. And that's what helped you uh, learn as quickly as possible about the industry? Definitely, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you, uh, so you knew you wanted to start a fine jewelry brand. Like, what were the first steps? Because you know, when you think about something like this, it sounds like a pretty capital intensive business, at least just from looking at it from the outside in. Um, what did you? I guess what were the first initial steps towards developing a brand, developing a company that competes in this space? 
one of my philosophies is, you know, never make excuses for anything. And we definitely did not have a budget starting this. Um, but we, we launched with $8,000 and, you know, we met with a lot of manufacturers and they were telling us, you know, there were all of these quantities we needed to get all these mm-hmm. MRQs. And we were like, I don't know how we're even going to, we're going to even have one piece in our, in our collection. So, uh, we, we finally found a manufacturer that was willing to take a chance on us and he was really excited about the opportunity to be online and was willing to work with us. So he made one-offs of each of our designs. Uh, we were able to, you know, take pictures of those ourselves and then put them online. I photoshopped the colors. So we had three different, you know, we had rose, yellow, and white gold. And we didn't even need three versions of the piece to have that. Um, we took model shots ourselves and um, just put up a site that I designed myself so um, it was pretty scrappy, and then for the whole first year that we were in business, we um, our, all of our jewelry was made to order. So we had a two to three day turnaround time with our manufacturer, and as soon as an order was placed, we uh, we sent the order to our manufacturer, and he was able to get it ready in two days, so we could ship it out within the week. So our customers didn't even know that it was made to order, but that's how we how we were able to start. Mm, yeah, I can see that that approach working very well, especially when you don't have a large budget to work with. But you you, you were able to do this because you found a manufacturer that uh, that didn't just want you to meet certain minimum order quantities. They actually wanted something more out of that, and which something you could have provided, which is they wanted to be able to start selling online. So you found this manufacturer. They weren't working with any other, I guess, uh, brands that were helping them go online at the time. Uh, They weren't, um, you know, he wasn't even really a manufacturer. He was just someone that had a jewelry business and Mm -hmm. knew a lot about it. So, you know, it was, we were kind of partners in that we were just both helping each other out and both learning along the way. Yeah, I think that's important that, like you're saying, you didn't make excuses and realize, and, and all of a sudden, you know, think that because so many manufacturers are saying no or we're setting very high minimum order quantities that you would not be able to meet with your budget, you didn't just turn around and say, okay, we can't do this. You found a way to to partner with somebody that that would essentially, you know, I'm not going to say you paid them with your expertise, but you traded and you partnered with them because you had that experience, had the knowledge, had the the uh, the ability to take them on online and in exchange they would help you create your create the products so how were you able to identify a manufacturer like this and how did that conversation i guess uh, get started uh literally by walking around the jewelry district of la (laughs) so we just went uh to there's a large jewelry district in downtown and we walked around and talked to um people that were working at the booths and the one manufacturer that we, he's, you know, he's not actually a manufacturer, but the jewelry um, dealer that we ended up working with, he was the first one. He was open in the morning and no one else was open. So we struck up a conversation with him and he just was really excited about what we were doing and wanted to kind of prove himself. And, and so he tested out our first collection and was able to work with us on the revisions and really um, take our sketches and turn them into life. So I uh, definitely got got lucky finding someone that was willing to take a chance on us. Very cool. And uh, w- one of the articles that I had read about from you guys or about you guys was about the direct to consumer model. How is this? Uh, how is it? I guess different than the way jewelry is typically sold uh, today. Typically, jewelry has a lot of markups, like I was mentioning, and one of the main markups comes from uh, you know having a wholesale to retail traditional model. 
And, you know, with direct to consumer, you're, you're cutting that entire, basically, you know, half of the price out of the markup because you're selling direct to consumer, you're going, you're being online only, and you don't, you're not really relying on that other retailer to sell for you. So, you know, being online, you have a lot of more opportunities and there's, there's really no need for that additional step in the process. Mm. Did you run into any issues by going direct to consumers or were certain uh, channels not available to you because you had this business model or any other, I guess, obstacles that came in your way because of this, this approach to the way that you were selling? Yeah, definitely. I mean, a lot of stores, once we became a little more popular, a lot of stores would reach out and see if they could hold our collection. And we had to decline a lot of that, even knowing that it would be a great opportunity and we'd make a lot of sales. But we definitely wanted to stay focused on being direct consumer and send out a very clear message to, you know, what we value and what our ideas founded through. Um, but it, early on, it was it was definitely uh, enticing to go that route because it's tough when every single one of your orders has to come from individual customers and you can't have any bulk orders. So um, yeah, it's tough, but I think it if you can push through it, it's definitely worth it. Yeah, I can definitely see that being a very hard uh, decision to make, especially for a new company where all of a sudden people want to place large orders from you. But then by saying yes, it kind of goes against the initial values, initial vision that you had had for the business. And, it, you know, it sounds like uh, once you if you don't want to kind of you don't want to just start, I guess, moving that line because who knows where it could lead. You might completely dilute your, your brand, um, your original brand, and that might you know, alienate your, your original customers. Uh, so when you when you first started with the uh, the initial product, like you're saying, you took your own product shots, You it was made to order. Did you have to validate the product anyway? Like how did you know that there was a market, uh, not so much a market for a direct-to-consumer, but uh, for the particular kind of products that you were selling, how did you know that there was a market for it? I mean, I myself, it was something that I wanted. So that was kind of enough of a validation for me. Um, and we didn't really have much to lose. We put $8,000 into this as, a, as our first investment. Um, so it was really just about trying it out and seeing where it went. So we didn't have lofty goals. We had actually really low goals. We wanted to sell five pieces in the first month. And when we exceeded that in the first day, it was it was shocking to all of us. So um yeah, I think just having realistic goals and taking a chance and trying it out. Mm, yeah, it makes sense. So when you uh, first put the products out online, like what were, how did you get those initial customers? Like how were you driving uh, those sales from to 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 I guess the first of traffic to your site and sales early on when you just started the business? It was a lot of hustle. Uh, we reached out to um, all sorts of bloggers and influencers that were in the smaller smaller range of followers and we gave them early access to our website. We didn't even have um, enough money to send them pieces, free pieces for them to photograph and shoot and style. So we just gave them early access to the website and asked for their opinions and involved them in the process. And from there, they just, you know, felt very connected to it and really loved the idea. So they shared it organically on social media, on their blogs, and it kind of created this really authentic and organic approach. What was it? What did you find that um, I guess the, the the influencers were most attracted to about your company? Was it this new business model? Was it the products themselves? Like what what really kind of caught their attention? 
I think it was a combination. I think, you know, we're grounded through our values of quality, simplicity, and transparency. And bringing those three things together in a piece of jewelry, I think, really spoke to a lot of what's happening in our culture today and what people are looking for. Uh, so I think um, definitely our values is what people definitely gravitated towards the most. Mm-hmm. Were, were there at that time, were there any other or were there many companies or brands uh, following this model of direct to consumer? Um, I mean, we were very inspired by companies like Everlane and Warby Parker uh, Mm. that are cutting out the markups, direct to consumer, but also focusing on a very simple minimalist product. So that was definitely what we were looking up to. Did you find that there were more um, competitors specifically in your space, the jewelry space that that came out after uh, seeing your success, like this, the the direct to consumer um, fine jewelry business? Yeah, we've seen a bunch pop up recently, which is super interesting. Uh, I don't really see anyone as a competitor necessarily. Everyone's kind of doing something a little different, but I'm glad that it kind of opened the doors so we can we can all change the industry for the better. Mm, yeah, definitely. Um, and when it comes to, I think you know, a lot of listeners out there might be selling in this space as well, whether it be uh, uh, the kind of jewelry you're selling specifically, or just you know uh, other types of jewelry. What what about a jewelry brand is? Uh, do you have to market differently compared to other, maybe like apparel or other types of, um, I guess, um, uh, consumers facing brands? For us, since our jewelry is so tiny, it was a struggle early on because. Everything has to be shot so close up and you really have to focus in on these tiny, tiny little details. So you can't really get an overall picture of anything. Uh, Everything is very, very zoomed in and focused and detail oriented, which is a little hard to uh, get used to at first. But then it kind of, you know, those constraints turn into uh, more creative ways to to display things. So I think it's it goes both ways. Cool. Yeah, you know, you were mentioning before that your previous, uh, I guess, um, experience was in the brand identity space, and then you know, following with uh, the user experience, uh, uh, I guess, work that you're doing. Um, I want to talk a little bit about this because I think this is important. Uh, I guess skill sets for other entrepreneurs. When you were working uh, in developing uh, brand identity, tell us a little more about that. What does brand identity mean, and what were you doing to help other companies develop theirs? Brand identity to me is a form of communication. Um, you know, for Vrainaro, I like to think that we, you know, selling jewelry is kind of secondary for me. It's more about creating a connection to explain our values and communicate our values. So doing that for other brands was really exciting for me because I was able to take what I saw as founders' values and translate it into a visual communication source in a sense. Um, And it was great for a little bit, but at, at some point I wanted to create my own, you know, I wanted to infuse my own values into something. So this kind of gave me that outlet to do that. Mm. Yeah. So for any store out there that, that maybe already is in business or anyone out there that's thinking about starting a business and they want to really nail down their brand identity so they can kind of uh, tie everything back to it. How do you begin to create one? Like what is like, if you're saying you're sitting down today, anyone out there is listening, sitting down today and wants to go down this process of creating their brand's identity. How do you begin that process? I think a a misconception in brand identity is that it's about uh, the visual identity and people start to think, what's my logo? What's my typeface? What are our colors? Um, But I think way before that, you have to establish what your your core values are as founders and what you're trying to 
say and why you're trying to say it. What what is the the reason for why you're doing this? So it's usually not just about the product; it's about something deeper than that. So really honing in on that, and I think uh, everything else is kind of secondary. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You know, it's the idea that a lot of people will focus on the logo, the business cards, like things that aren't, um, it's not core enough, I guess, is what, is what I'm getting at. And you mentioned that you first have to identify what these core values are for you. Uh, and I think an issue that a lot of entrepreneurs run into is that they kind of almost start ad- adopting other core values and they're, they're not really looking inside to identify like, what actually resonates to them. Do you have um, a way to, I guess, a, a practice or exercise that you go through to identify like what is truly, uh, you know, your own core values and not just something that maybe you you like or it looks interesting for, from another brand? Oh man, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I'm I'm an introverted person, so I'm always thinking and I'm always kind of analyzing myself and my thoughts. And so for me, it was it was kind of. Cl- what my core values were. Um, I always like to question traditions and I'm never really settled with how things are. So yeah, it just, um, it made sense to me for what I, what I believed in. Mm, yeah. One, one thing I've heard on the other entrepreneurs talk about is to ask others, especially your close friends for them to describe you, because sometimes you have a, maybe a vision of yourself that doesn't necessarily match that doesn't really match, but it might be a little bit biased, I guess, in, in your in your own, uh, if you were to describe yourself. But if you ask a bunch of different people how they would describe you, you might see some themes pop up that, that might validate you know, what you're saying, or it might open your eyes to something that you never even thought about in terms of your, your core values. Um, so once you identify these these values, like, what, what, do you, what do you do with it? Like, How does it actually end up uh, on your side and in your, in your designs? Like, what does it mean to translate these core values into the, 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 the look and feel of your of your site, of your brand? Uh, for me, I mean, we settled on three words, the quality, simplicity, and transparency. So that had to spread through every single thing, every word, every image, every product. So, you know, quality, if it wasn't high quality, then obviously there's an issue to begin with there. Um, but that also just meant um, having sustainability and creating for quality over quantity and uh, educating consumers on the, on the, um, fact that we use solid gold and high grade diamonds and not plated and vermeil or all of these other terms that people use uh, and then simplicity that, that's huge for our for our jewelry designs we're always saying what can we remove not what can we add so we've come up as a team with some interesting designs that we all were like really excited about but they didn't really fit into our idea of simplicity so we decided not to not move forward with them so it's a lot of the times it's about editing down and not adding but uh, taking away and transparency was is huge in everything we do so it's about being honest and open and we just try and be an open book and explain where our materials come from where our costs come from um, and be open as a team and as open as we can with our customers Mm. And do you ever feel compelled to change or add to your core values, to your brand's identity? Should it always be evolving or is it something that you need to really kind of not necessarily set in stone, but stick to as much as possible? I think it can definitely always be evolving, but for us, it has stayed the same since day one. And we, you know, I didn't even really realize it until probably reflecting back a few months ago that these three things are, are really the core of what we're doing. So I think they can definitely evolve, especially 
if your idea of the business evolves, but for us, it's, it's definitely rooted pretty deep. Mm, makes sense. So now I want to talk about your user experience work. Uh, how has what you, you've learned in that, in that field impacted the design or I guess the overall customer experience uh, on your site? I think it's been an advantage because we look at our website as an experience and not just a an end all, you know, an end goal. Um, so it's kind of a journey that we want people to take, and so we really think through each aspect of it, from just simplifying the navigation and really trying to clarify as much as we can without distracting and having um, three different different gold colors and having only a certain amount of products that people don't feel overwhelmed. So kind of thinking through all these little nuances that we think the customer would experience without them even, even noticing. Mm, yeah. I want to talk about all that a little bit, a little bit more. So uh, what, what are some things that maybe you've noticed other e-commerce stores missing out on that they haven't uh, added, I guess, to, to their store that you think would be uh, beneficial to the, to the experience for the, from the customer's perspective? I think again, it's about subtracting more than adding. But I think a lot of um, a lot of online stores tend to overdo it, and you know they have a their small shop, and so they think they have to like overcompensate. Um, so they have a lot of products, and it can seem confusing. And I think consistency is a huge thing, and people get a little scared of consistency because it can come off as boring. Mm-hmm. But for me, consistency is key, and just always keeping. Uh, a very clean, simple look across everything that you do. Um, and it doesn't even have to be clean if that's not your brand, but um, just a consistent voice and look and um, identity so people can identify with your brand. Yeah, this consistency thing I think is important to talk about too because I think it needs to, when, you, when you're a customer or when you're designing something for a customer, for a user, you don't want them to think too much about how to navigate, how to use your site. And you mentioned that one of the key things to be consistent about is the voice. So, for example, the product description should be written from the same voice. Are there any other things that you've noticed other stores uh, not being consistent about that, that, uh, that you think has a big impact on, on their brand or on their, on their conversions even? I don't know on that one. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of places that people aren't very consistent. A lot of the times, it's with their marketing and just their their Instagram accounts, their social media. Um, you you go from their website to their Instagram, and it's a whole disconnect. And you're like, I feel like I'm on a completely different brand's site here. So definitely across all your channels, being consistent, and then even just how you talk about the brand that just has to come through on your site, through your marketing materials, through your Instagram, through your Pinterest. Uh, all of your marketing channels. Mm. Yeah, I think um, in order to make it easier to be consistent, you have to be able to either know your brand's identity very well or document it very well. Do you do any kind of documentation or is this kind of something that's just, you know, I guess in your head or like what are some, what are some t- I guess, tips there on making sure that you have, uh, I guess, almost like a Bible, I guess, to refer back to, to for your brand's identity? I should probably be better about documenting, but... I'm really not that great at it, and my team has been asking for a comprehensive brand guide that I'm definitely, I will get there. But um, as of right now, it's mostly in my head. Uh, It's very natural to me, so it's not something that I need to write down for myself. But as our team grows, it is something I want to develop so we can keep consistency, uh, and it's not just in my head. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, that definitely uh, a challenge uh, for all entrepreneurs when you don't have that much time in the day. How do you spend your time between, uh, you know, moving the business along versus kind of uh, documenting everything and creating systems around everything? Uh, so you mentioned also that uh, again, subtraction. You said this a couple of times now is that sometimes business, sometimes stores and brands just have too much, and you really need to start removing things uh, more than adding more things to it. And one of the the key things that, that you mentioned was about number of products. You don't want to have too many products because you don't want to overwhelm and give too many options to customers. When you do want to introduce a new product line, maybe in your experience actually, because it sounded like you just started with one product and when you add more products, like what's that process? Like how do you make sure that it doesn't interrupt, I guess, the, the experience of customers that are used to coming to your store for specific products? Um, or maybe how do you even introduce a new product li- product to your product line uh, to existing customers? Well, we don't do um, any, we don't have seasons, basically. So we don't have to um, feel the pressure to release a new collection every few months. We really uh, take the approach of releasing a new piece when we have a new piece to release. Uh, and that's can be once a month. It can be once every three months or once every six months, uh, depending on you know just the timing of everything. And when we release a new piece, we tend to uh, pull one of our pieces that hasn't been working so well. So it's um, kind of just a, an editing process, and we never want to overwhelm people with too many products. And when we release a new product, we always like to create a story around it, so it doesn't feel like a piece of jewelry again. It feels like something that people can connect with and there's a meaning behind it. So creating that story that people can really kind of see themselves in is, is really important for us. Mm, yeah, I want to touch on that whole uh, story aspect for product launches in, in a second. Uh, but I want to uh, talk as well about how you actually do remove products from your your catalog, especially when you add new ones. I think this is, uh, like you're saying, it's an editing process. I, I think it's important for a lot of stores to do this just because you have a product in your inventory or just because you've had a product in the past. And even if you had sales in the past, it doesn't always make sense to keep it around because it could be impacting your overall sales because it might confuse enough customers that they just you know don't convert at all because of it being too overwhelming. So now we'll talk about your product launches. You mentioned that you don't want to just introduce a product out of the blue without some way to tie it back to, uh, I guess, something more meaningful or tie it back to the brand itself. And you mentioned a story. So tell us a little more about this. Like, What do you mean by uh, a story uh, that you, you, you create around a product? So each product kind of has a little personality of its own, and we try and bring out that personality in it. We kind of create a little persona of, you know, if it was a person, who would this person be? And I think that kind of gives it a little life of its own, and people are really able to identify it with it. So that's Mm. kind of our story. Cool. So, do you, when you uh, create these stories, where do you? How do you share the stories? Is it just on, in the product descriptions, or how do you uh, make sure the story gets out? I mean, it's mainly for for our internal team to know um, how we're talking about it. But we, you know, it's on our product descriptions, and we share it on Instagram and Pinterest and all of our social media and uh, email campaigns, marketing. But yeah, it's really just more of a an organic way to to reach consumers. Mm, cool. So it's like a story that you have for your internal team, and the idea is that the uh, once if, if, if the entire team understands the story, 
the, the content that comes out from it through social media or through ads or just through product descriptions will match that internal story that you guys have uh, created. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Um, so I want to talk about the, the the marketing that you do today. I know you mentioned earlier that uh, to get those first sales, you worked with influencers and bloggers. Is that the key marketing strategy today as well? Uh, it has shifted a lot in the past few months. Uh, we don't really rely on influencers and bloggers. You know, it's a great outlet, but for us, it was feeling a little forced. As soon as bloggers started approaching us that they wanted to get paid and they wanted all of these free things that just seemed not so authentic anymore. So we've been moving away from that direction and we still have great relationships that we've built with some of these girls and we definitely still want to work with them. But uh, for now, we're, we're moving just towards our own, our own channels and um, I guess concentrating a little more on editorial and PR and telling our story through other outlets. Mm, okay, so when you say your own channels, you mean like your own social media channels or what, what What do you mean by that? Yeah, own social media channels. So a lot through Instagram. Uh, we were using Snapchat for a while, but I think we're switching over to Instagram stories now and, um, and Pinterest. And yeah, I think that's about it. Oh, cool. So Instagram stories is something that, that you guys are using pretty heavily? Yeah, we are using it. We um, we haven't made it a routine yet, but we definitely try and post a few times a week and want to want to definitely get a get more structured with that. Yeah, I think this um, a, a challenge that a lot of brands are going through, which is especially just specifically on Instagram. Like, what do you post to your actual Instagram? I guess feed. What do you post to the stories? Like, how do you differentiate between what makes it into a story versus what just goes up on the, I guess, the permanent uh, wall for your for your Instagram profile? The stories is really a way to be transparent uh, and the, the wall, for lack of a better word, is yeah. more curated, I would say. Uh, so it's definitely a little more polished, a little more curated. Um, and the, the stories feature is definitely where we can be more open and transparent and give a little peek of what we're actually doing on a day to day basis. So it's just it's a little more real, I guess. I see. So you're using the uh, the stories to show like behind the scenes and show what the company is about, put some faces to the names. Like that is that what you're using the stories for? Yeah, we'll we'll go over to our manufacturers and shoot some shots over there. We'll interview one of the team members. We'll kind of give you a close up of one of our jewelry pieces and explain the story behind it and show you different ways to style it. So it's it gives us a lot of different ranges to work with. Mm, yeah, I can, I can definitely see now that I'm on your your Instagram profile. A lot of you know beautiful product shots in the the permanent, I guess, section of photos. Um, and like you're saying, it's much more curated. I'm sure much more, uh, I guess, uh, mindful on, on on what you're putting out there versus the story. Stories gives you more the opportunity to be transparent and, and not be, I guess, so curated uh, through through the, through the stories. Uh, so you mentioned uh, editorials and PR as another marketing channel has worked well for you. Um, how does that work? Like, what, what are you are you writing story are you writing articles yourselves are you reaching out to PR outlets to to cover the brand like what's the approach there yeah I mean for us it's it's less about having our jewelry being featured in a roundup of you know jewelry styles and it's more about telling our story and having people connect to our story so I think um, these news outlets are a great way to tell that and reach new reach new customers so um, yeah we, we try and reach uh, companies that 
are interested in our story and the background and the concepts behind it rather than just the jewelry itself. Mm. So what's the, the angle when you're pitching to these PR outlets? Is it about the direct-to-consumer approach? Yeah, there's a few different, I mean, depending on the, um, the outlet, some are very interested in the direct-to-consumer approach, some are interested in the quality approach, and some are interested in the design or the fact that we're made in LA. So there's a lot of different aspects that we can talk about depending on the outlet. I see. So are you, how do you identify what which angle to use when you are pitching to a PR outlet? Uh, they'll usually come to us and just ask a few questions of what they're mainly interested in. And then from there, I can kind of get a feel for you know where their mindset is at and what they would like to talk about. Mm, yeah. Even if you are the one reaching out to these outlets, I think a great way is just look at what they're already putting out there and to see what kind of uh, uh, they're most interested in covering. And you can always find a way to create a similar angle that matches what they're already trying to do when you approach them. You definitely don't want to just kind of umbrella shotgun approach to setting the same kind of pitch or approaching each PR outlet the same exact way. Um, so you, um, one interesting thing I saw on, on the site was, um, it says here for one of the products says a star at $23 a month with a firm, or I guess you can just buy it outright for $260. So tell us a little bit more about this. What is, what is a firm and what does it do for your, for your customers? A firm is a, a finance option and it's a plugin that we just recently added to our site that allows customers to um, check out with low monthly payments uh, to buy the piece over time. And a firm kind of takes on all of the, all of the risk there and we get paid up front so it's really a great option and it allows people to um, not commit to something, you know, not overly commit to something that they can't afford at that moment and they can, they can pay it off over a few months. Yeah, I like this. I haven't seen this uh, too many uh, too many sites, at least not. Uh, uh, I mean, I've seen this, of course, on, on the big box uh, retailers and the, the much larger companies, but I haven't seen this yet on a more independent shop. So I think it's a cool approach that you're giving that there's a company out there that helps you help your customers finance a purchase. Um, have you seen a lift in uh, customers using this option uh, since you've since you've added it to your to your, uh, I guess, uh, uh, your, your store? Yeah, it's been very popular, and um, you know we have a higher price, higher price uh, item, so it definitely helps out for those you know five hundred dollar purchases that you know you want something special, but it's it's definitely hard to fit that within the budget at one time. So I think it's a great resource for people. Does this affect anything with like returns or exchanges? Like this is also, does it make it uh, more complicated? Like how does that work with a company like a, a firm? It really hasn't made it very complicated at all. It just, it seamlessly um, plugs into our Shopify shop and they have a dashboard that we can check everything and see all the analytics and returns are super easy. So really Really, no complaints on my end. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can definitely see. Uh, it, it sounds like it adds a lot; doesn't take much away at all. Um, when you do sign up for, a, uh, I guess, a company like this, is there a process, a review process, an approval process that you have to go through? Uh, they reached out to us, and we were excited about it. We had heard of the firm before, and so it was really, you know, they were very uh, helpful setting everything up. Great customer service, and they walked us through the whole thing. And it, it took a one or two days to get it all set up and running. 
Cool. And one other thing I do like as well about the, um, I guess your, 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 on the product page is, is option right here. It says send a hint. Tell us a little more about this. Like what does uh, send a hint do and how did you come, come, I guess, come up with the idea of having something like this? We wanted something where women can go and instead of just sending a guy or whoever, um, you know, might be buying jewelry for them, uh, a link, we wanted to create something a little more personal that you can go in and you can find your favorites and send someone that you love a, a little hint. So it's kind of a cute way to get someone involved in the process um, without being too blatant about it. <laughs> you know, I feel like if I got this from, um, I guess my fiance in this case, I would definitely feel like I could take a little more credit for the purchase right. than if she just sent me a, a link uh, in, in, in the email. So I, I think this is a, definitely a cool way to encourage people to um, check out, to, to you know share products that, that, that might be gifted to them. Uh, so yeah, tell us a bit more about your, your day-to-day. So you know, you've been running the business for, I guess, um, uh, in, for two years now. What has been, uh, what has been, how does your, your involvement in the business change over that, that time? Well, it started as you know, day-to-day operations, everyday packaging, shipping, delivering, picking up from manufacturers, designing, everything. And then as we've grown, you know, we've hired people to do the day-to-day part. So I've taken on the role as creative director. And really my role is about um, having this vision that the whole team understands and hiring the right people to execute that vision. Uh, so, you know, my, my role has turned into a lot more of a managerial role for now. But um, I definitely like to get in there and get my hands dirty and take some photos whenever I can and update the website and create the email marketing. But uh, I know someday I'll have to pass all that off. <laughs> yeah, I think you know when you I've, seen, I've heard other other businesses, other entrepreneurs take this approach where they are very much like the I guess the executor efforts, like doing everything, making sure their hands are, are on everything, and then they their true value is in the creative side. And, get, and get, like in your case, you're the creative director, which means you have to you have to separate yourself from the day to execution aspect. Otherwise, you're so bogged down that you don't have this kind of mind like mind space to be creative. Uh, and but it's a big thing to give up, right? Because you've been so used to managing everything, it's comfortable when you know what what's going on every single step along the way. But you have to give that up so that you can free up your time, free up your mind to to do what's most valuable for the business. Tell us about the process that you had to go through to you know separate yourself from the business in that regard. I'm definitely still going through that process, so it is tough. You know, I used to take every Instagram photo myself, and it's all my hands or you know things that I that I saw that I loved, and so now it's um, you know training other people to see that and um, have their but be respectful of their own visions as well. So it's definitely um, giving up a, a lot of control, uh, which I'm still learning how to do. But I think it's been really good for me. Um, I've been able to just grow and create a team that I really trust. Uh, and I think just having those trusted people around you is really what can make it successful. Mm. Who, what was your uh, first hire and how did you know to, to hire them? Uh, our first hire was actually an intern that uh, we're trying to get back on our team, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, she was an intern and then she turned into um, fulfillment and then she turned into operations. And she kind of grew really quickly with the company and she was just doing a little bit of everything since we were all doing a little bit of everything. And for us, 
just, you know, it wasn't about her, um, her background, her experience or her education. It was really about her mindset. She was super eager. She wanted to learn any, everything. She really wanted to get to know every part of the business. And that curiosity was really, um, really what we loved about her. Very cool. So in, in the two years that have gone by with the business, can you give us an idea of the growth or success of the business today? Uh, yeah, we're currently on track to reach uh, $2 million in revenue this year. And again, we started with $8,000 and we bootstrapped the company so we didn't raise any money and we've just been growing off of profits. That, that I mean, that's amazing. You know, two million dollars a year bootstrapping, just growing off of profits. Did you ever envision that it would come to this uh, size of a business? Uh, you know, in two thousand fourteen. Nope, not at all. What do you think the tipping point was when you started realizing, wow, this could be an, a legit business that's you know turning over millions of dollars a year? Uh, it's honestly, it's just been growing steadily, and you know, even the first month was a shock to me. I didn't think we would. You know, I thought we would make five sales and we ended up, I think, with 25 sales, which was really awesome for us. And it's just been kind of snowballing. And um, recently, I think we've just been able to streamline our values, really been able to come together as a team and hone in on what's important and how to translate that and communicate that with everyone. And I think it's just, um, you know, it's such a giftable item that people are buying it for their friends and family. And so then they're learning about the brand and it's just kind of become a, an organic um, snowball. Yeah, that's very cool. You know, speaking of uh, gifts, you know, we're coming up in a holiday shopping season or when this episode goes live, we're definitely in it. Uh, what are you guys doing in uh, preparation for this, uh, this holiday shopping season? Oh man, it's going to be crazy. <laughs> we are ordering a lot of packaging and we're increasing our inventory a ton, which is tough because our manufacturers are currently almost at their capacity. So a lot of our pieces are sold out on our website because our manufacturers are having trouble keeping up with demand. So that's going to be our biggest challenge going into the uh, holiday season is just making sure we have enough inventory to get us through it. <laughs> And and uh, for your line of business, I think it changes a lot for different industries. But for yours, how much of a lead time do you need to prepare for a big uh, buying season? Um, about six months, I would say, would be um, a good amount of lead time. Um, we can, you know, the POs that we're submitting now, we can turn around in about four weeks um, but they're getting you know again we're going through our inventory really quickly so uh, if we had six months of good preparation that would probably be good for us <laughs> very cool and where do you want to see the brand in the next year uh, we have some really exciting things in the works right now uh, I won't give away too much but we are looking to launch two different guide shops one in Soho and one in in LA and uh, we are working on a launch for engagement rings. So that's going to be a whole kind of separate brand. It will live with Freyanoro, but um, it'll be a, a different experience. Mm, that's very cool. I've heard the term guide shops before, but it's still something pretty new to me. Can you tell the audience a little bit more, like what is a guide shop? Yeah, we just don't want to have a traditional retail experience. So we want to create a different type of experience that kind of takes our online um shop and experience and translates it into a physical location. So we won't necessarily have a bunch of inventory there and we might have to ship your piece to you, but you'll at least be able to see everything and it'll be just kind of a, a display that you can come and see in person and touch and feel the products and before you purchase. 
Very cool. So thanks so much for your time, Vanessa. Again, vrayandoro.com is the website, V-R-A-I-A-N-D-O-R-O.com. And we'll link all that up in the show notes. Anywhere else you recommend the listeners check out, they want to follow along with what you guys are up to? Yeah, definitely check out our Instagram. And um, we're posting a lot of updates every day. So Yeah, definitely excited to uh, see how you guys use uh, stories. I think it's really going to be a key aspect for a lot of brands that do want to offer them kind of openness and transparency that that uh, you and your brand uh, talks a lot about. So yeah, excited to check that out. We'll link all those in the show notes. Again, thanks so much for your time, Vanessa. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.